Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Well, welcome back to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Sam. <clears throat> That's uh, our pleasure. <laughs> We're happy to happy to host you here on your own podcast. Uh, we do what we can live here from the Blackaby Studios. Absolutely, absolutely. They're coming along. We've got some some new additions, and uh, maybe one of these days we'll have to put up some pictures. Um, but it's uh, it's I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So yeah. this is this yeah. is my happy place. <laughs> <laughs> so today uh, we want to talk about uh, a leader who has had significant influence on the world. Certainly, uh, people in Christian circles would know uh, this leader, this yeah. influencer, um, Billy Graham. Yeah, William Franklin Graham is his official name. Uh, some people don't realize that his. Uh, his father was uh, named William Graham and went by William. Uh, he went by, he was, his name was William Franklin Graham, but he went by Billy. Hmm. And of course his, uh, his son is also named William Franklin, but he goes by Franklin Graham. And uh, his uh, grandson is Will, William Franklin Graham, and he goes by Will. And actually Will has a son who goes by Quint, because he's, he's the fifth generation of yeah. William Franklin Graham. So just... Teeming with creativity <laughs> in the naming. Hey, why mess up a good thing? I guess if it ain't broke. Don't fix it. Right? They uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, uh, Sam. The, of course, he's known as a preacher primarily, preaching in large crusades. But uh, we're, we're looking at him not so much as a preacher. We're not analyzing his uh, oratorical abilities, but really as a as a leader. And when we think about being a person of influence. Uh, certainly Billy Graham was that. And I mean, I think uh, that <clears throat> that's without doubt that he was hugely influential. Yeah. I mean, you know. Well, we forget just how many things even he began, like things like Christianity Today, you know, or just uh, various, uh, various little Lausanne conference and various, various different organizations and ministries, uh, papers, magazines that continue to this day, uh, really pioneering a lot in Christian movies and things like that. Uh, he, he influenced far more than just simply preaching in crusades. Of course, he really impacted how that was done as well. And other evangelists have copied a lot of his techniques, but, uh, well, I think we've seen the, the photographs too, of just the massive yeah. crowds and yeah. all over the world. Like he, in Seoul, South Korea, I think where he preached to a million people, it was just, just uh, unheard of. But uh, but also he's a leader in the sense that other leaders respected him. You know, I, I've said this before. It's one thing to lead followers; it's another to to lead leaders. And for him to have been a, a friend, a, a confidant, an advisor to American presidents, the first uh, American president he ever met personally was uh, uh, Harry Truman. And then went all the way up uh, through till, uh, well, all the way till Trump he's met with. So he's, uh, or he met with, so, um, you know, from, from basically about 1950 up until his death, he was uh, a confidant and of American presidents and world leaders, just the who's who of world leaders. And yeah. so clearly for all those people to have respected him at that level indicates that uh, he was more than just simply a good preacher. Yeah. So... Uh, like we do with most 
uh, leader profiles. Um, kind of want to look back at the early years of mm-hmm. of Billy Graham and uh, see what we can pull out of that. And and I think uh, maybe it's a common thread that many people who went on to to be world leaders or, or influential leaders, um, their beginnings were not necessarily. You couldn't look at them at a young age and say, "Yeah, they've destined for greatness." Yeah. So uh, can you it, speak to that some. It almost seems uh, just to be a rule of thumb that if you're going to be a great leader, an influencer in your adult life, that you're probably going to be someone as a as a younger person that no one expects very much to happen with. Uh, mm. And certainly that's the case with uh, Billy Graham. And I don't want to denigrate any part of the country, but um, in the you know he was born in 1918. And in North Carolina, and uh, in a, outside of Charlotte, where at that time Charlotte was not the the, the big, uh, the more modern city that it is now, um, but uh, he was a, he grew up on a dairy farm, and so rural North Carolina, 1918, it's just not the place you expected world leaders to come from, yeah. uh, or or for that matter, great evangel- great public speakers to come from. Uh, very humble uh, beginnings, very poor, going through uh, uh, some very lean times uh, with the stock market crash and then uh, uh, the Great Depression. There, there were some periods throughout uh, their, his uh, upbringing where it's very uh, poor, very humble. Uh, and he was not a good student. Uh, right in through high school, he was basically a C student. He failed uh, French class in uh, the 10th grade, which I... You, you have some experience I all did French, that as well. Yeah. My French teacher basically in, in Canada, where I went to school, 50% was considered a pass. And and I would always... And so if you got 51% as your final grade, you knew that you earned it. If you got 50%, you know, knew you were graciously <laughs> given it just so that they kept you going. I would get 50% at my final grade every year. So... I, Billy Graham and I have much in common. Mm. We, str- we struggled with <laughs> French. Uh, but, you know, uh, he also just had uh, a number of things. You, uh, for instance, he, he did not like public speaking. In fact, at one point in his youth, he vowed that he would never be a public speaker. Mm. Uh, the irony of <laughs> looking. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, and I see that often uh, where someone says for instance well I'll, I'll I could never be a preacher because I'm not a good speaker and of course they're saying this when they're like a teenager or they're in college and they've they've never had one class in public speaking yet yeah or they've had no experience yet and of course if you've had no experience no training uh, in something of course you're not good at it that doesn't that doesn't mean that you you can't become good that God can't make you that you can't improve yourself. And so interestingly, when Billy Graham does eventually preach his very first sermon, one of my favorite stories about him is that he, he agonizes about which he, he, that time he'd written four sermons and he's trying to figure out which one to preach and, uh, can't decide right up to the time it's, it's the day to preach. So he brings all four manuscripts with him. And as he gets up, he finally decides which one he'll preach. He preaches that, but it seems as if the time has raced by so quickly that uh, he has more time still to preach, so he pulls out sermon number two and preaches it and still just feels compelled to pull out sermon number three and then ultimately preaches all four sermons in his very first time ever to preach. And when he finally sits down after preaching four sermons, he's only used up eight minutes. And so he's preached four (laughs) sermons in eight minutes. 
to become the most famous preacher in in world history, uh, and yet to have very very humble beginnings, and uh, yeah, and that certainly encourages me because uh, you know I just know so many people who sense that God has put something in their hearts, but they look at their skills and just say, God couldn't want me to be a preacher or yeah. a leader or whatever else, because look at my skills. I, I, I can't do it. And so Billy Graham couldn't either when he started out. But uh, of course, with God's help and much practice, um, he did become uh, a, a great uh, speaker. Uh, several other things um, about him I think are interesting. One is when he when he did become a Christian, uh, he it, it is interesting because there had been a group of men that uh, just really the year before had prayed that God might, and these were business people from the Charlotte area, and they had met and they had prayed that uh, God would raise up um, somebody from their area, from the Charlotte area, to be a, a, a worldwide preacher. And uh, they had no idea that from that very area, the the world's greatest preacher would was already uh, developing. Was at that time about sixteen years old, um, hmm. and uh, and so you you never know. Sometimes when you pray and say, "God, would you raise up a great man or woman of God?" Uh, sometimes we look around for a great man or woman of God, but they actually may be only a teenager at the time, or yeah. maybe in the bed babies at your church, and God has already answered your prayer. You just got to wait for them to grow up and. Uh, and it's interesting when Billy Graham went to a famous um, evangelistic meeting that uh, Mordecai, Mordecai Ham was uh, the evangelist, was preaching. Uh, Billy Graham was hesitant uh, to, to, to attend. In fact, he tells uh, in his uh, very delightful autobiography called Just As I Am, uh, he tells the story of actually coming up with a plan so that he didn't get saved. And he, uh, <laughs> he and a friend decided to sing in the choir because if you're in the choir, uh, that this Mordecai ham was known for staring out at the audience and this, this gaze that just melted you and convicted you. And so they thought, well, if we, we can't sing, but if we're in the choir, he won't be looking at us. He'll be looking <laughs> the other way. Yeah. So, uh, and he went to some great lengths to not have to deal with God. But uh, ultimately, interestingly, they, the song they sang was Just As I Am, which, of course, became the song that Billy Graham always used. Interestingly, uh, that was the song that was sung, the, 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 the altar call that he responded to. But uh, he didn't actually walk the aisle during those verses, so that, but they started a second song, uh, Almost Persuaded almost persuaded, but not quite. <laughs> and on the very last verse of the second song, Billy Graham walked the aisle. And uh, it kind of reminds me of Charles Spurgeon's conversion. Uh, at the very last moment, after two full songs have been sung, on the very last verse, this teenage boy uh, comes forward, and nobody in that auditorium, that room, would have celebrated to say, oh, praise God, the world's greatest evangelist has just walked the aisle. You, you, never, you never know in just one person surrendering to God what the potential is. Mm. And I've always, you can't help but think every time you see someone getting right with God, giving their life to Christ, only God knows the potential of that. And certainly that was the case with Billy Graham. Yeah, that's interesting. You, you know, we would just see a kid or a youth come down and, and make a decision. But, yeah. you know, we just have no idea what 
what the impact of that life is going to be. Yeah. Down, so, you, down you know, the road. so you look at your own kids. Now you're looking at, at uh, Claire. Yeah. And you see this sweet little baby. But God, of course, looks at every I mean, she's baby. She's sweet during the day. <laughs> yeah. Nighttime, and you know. Uh... Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, <laughs> but uh, God sees uh, the potential of every life, even the unborn right. lives. Right. And knows what could be. A couple other things just about. Uh, Billy Graham, he, um, he also was, uh, uh, it was interesting to me, I, I've read enough biographies to notice that many of these uh, eventual great leaders struggled even in their personal life. Um, Billy Graham, his first great love was to a young lady, uh, Emily Cavanaugh, and uh, Emily went on some dates with him, you know, traveled with him a few places, but ultimately she chooses someone else. She turns him down. He, he proposes to her, wants to marry her, and she chooses someone else instead. And at that time, the person that she chose was a much better preacher than Billy Graham was. And she wanted to marry someone that uh, would be in ministry. And, and basically one of the reasons she gave was that he just shows a lot more promise for ministry than you do, Billy. And I want to kind of hitch my wagon to someone who's going to make it in ministry. Yeah. So she turns down Billy Graham. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Winston Churchill, uh, the Duke of Wellington, number of famous leaders were turned down in early marriage proposals. It's mm. it, uh, even some of the great religious leaders uh, turned down early on. Uh, they don't show promise or ability. They're not the leader that they will become. And uh, almost uh, just interesting to me that it just seems as if to become a great leader, you almost have to have had some early adversity and failure, setbacks, that basically cause you to decide, am I going to hold on and keep believing, or am I going to just sort of give in and assume I'm a failure and live mm-hmm. like a failure? Uh, he also has a turning point with his good friend Charles Templeton. Templeton uh, is uh, an, an evangelist like Billy is, and Billy would, would say he's a better preacher He's smarter. Uh, and at a certain point, Templeton goes to uh, Princeton. And while he's there, he basically becomes uh, enamored with a lot of the the liberal views of theology and views of scripture. And And uh, Templeton comes back to Billy Graham and basically says, uh, he says at one point, Billy, you're, you're 50 years uh, out of date. Uh, Templeton was just enamored with all this uh, theological academia and and he said, uh, you know, people just don't believe the Bible like uh, you, you keep preaching it and uh, that where it's just all true and you have to live your life this way. And that uh, some of the traditional views of Jesus, uh, he Templeton was, was uh, giving up on. And, and so Billy Graham had a huge uh, crisis in his life because people that were his friends that uh, were down, going down the same path that he had been going down, they're bailing out. They're saying, Billy, this isn't the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you're you're out of date. You're never going to be successful if you just hold on to these outdated, old-fashioned views of the Bible. And Billy has a huge, um, huge crisis where he has to decide, and ultimately uh, has a real pivotal moment in his career where he basically decides, God, I don't understand all the that I find in the Bible. Some of those things I don't doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to believe it. It's your word. I'm going to preach it like it's your word and uh, just accept it, whether I understand it or not. 
And of course, that becomes the hallmark of his ministry and really why his preaching is so successful. And I think why God blesses him is Hmm. that he becomes known over and over again. Hardly a sermon is ever preached where at some point you don't hear Billy Graham say, the Bible says, the Bible says, and that became his authority and certainly why I think he became so effective. Hmm. Well, let's take a quick break here and we'll wrap up. Twice a year, Blackbeam Ministries hosts a spiritual leadership coaching workshop in the Atlanta area. The focus of this workshop is learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. The next workshop is May 6th through 8th, and registration is now open. To find out more and to register, visit blackbeecoaching.org. Links will be in the show notes. So, Richard, what are some things that uh, Billy Graham did to help him become the person of influence? Um... We saw he had he had some difficulties early on and yep. didn't come from a place in the country that leaders are typically born mm-hmm. from or grow up in. But uh, what are some markers along his life and some things that he did to become the man that, that he would be? Well, uh, one thing I think certainly is Billy Graham had just a way of, of making friends and, and uh, working with others. Uh, you can, it tells a lot about a person by by the colleagues that he keeps, and Billy Graham was known for that. He was always surrounded by a group of friends. Uh, in fact, even the very first time he was invited to meet a president, uh, Harry Truman, at the White House, even though he was the only one invited, he invited a couple of his friends to go with him. Yeah, And he was just always taking friends with him, and he was always loyal to his friends. He was always thoughtful of his friends. And as a result, those friends were friends for life with him. And so that, that helped him. He, he had an endearing way about him uh, where he was thoughtful of others. And uh, even though, of course, he's the big name in the group, uh, people like George Beverly Shea, Cliff Barrows, and others were lifelong friends. Uh, and they truly enjoyed being together. Uh, of course, early on in their ministry, they made what was became famous as the Modesto Manifesto, which uh, they had seen a number of... Uh, evangelists who had fallen into various scandals uh, and immorality. And so they made a commitment. And of course, one of their most famous commitments was they'd never be alone with a woman. Uh, and they would always have the highest standards of financial accountability. They certainly had the opportunity for money to be mismanaged. People would, would always want to give them gifts and money on the side and various things. And so they built a number of things into their uh, into the way they did things to protect themselves from that. And of course it, it worked. Uh, yeah. they became the gold standard of what it meant to be a ministry that was run with integrity and transparency. And, uh, that, uh, and, and all the years, uh, there never was a scandal and which is really incredible when you can, can yeah. realize how much they did, how many people they met and, uh, how much, how big the crowds and so on. Uh, they came up with a, a method that was successful. And it was interesting, uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, my brother Mel was going to speak up at the Billy Graham Cove and uh, and he was going to do it with Cliff Barrows. And Cliff at that time was well into his 90s. And uh, and so uh, during the, the, the service, this is about to begin, all of a sudden, Billy Graham and George Beverly Shea are both wheeled in in wheelchairs into the room. And uh, and Will Graham, Billy Graham's grandson, actually texted me 
a picture and say, hey, look who came to hear your brother preach tonight. And there's Cliff Barrows, George Beverly Shea, Billy Graham, all in wheel. Uh, well, Bar- Cliff Barrows isn't in a wheelchair, but the other two are. And uh, and so I, I texted Will back and said, Will, I've spoken at the Cove numerous times. Why have you never brought uh, your grandfather in when I was speaking? And he laughed and said, oh, Grandpa is not here for me. He said, Billy Graham didn't come for me. He said he came for Cliff Barrows, his friend. And that's why George Beverly Shea came, uh, because their friend was doing something nearby. Hmm. And so even in their 90s, late 90s, they're getting uh, their drivers to pack them up in their wheelchairs and make their way down to the cove. And and basically, they for, for over 60 years, these guys were best friends. And, and I'll tell you what, if it, it takes a certain kind of friendship uh, yeah. to be friends with a world-famous person and, and not become petty and think, well, I... You know, what about me? And for Billy Graham to never let it go to his head where he became hard to be around by his friends, uh, they truly enjoyed being together and they looked out for each other. And that says a lot uh, to me. Uh, and, and the other thing I, I'd say about Billy Graham is that he, he avoided, especially later on, he avoided a lot of controversy. He was always being asked, uh, well, would, would you condemn this? Would you speak out against that? And maybe, sometimes, perhaps to a fault, he, uh, there were times maybe he, he, he might have had a more of a prophetic voice about certain things. But, uh, for instance, um, people often wanted him to, you know, maybe there might be those who'd say, well, why are you letting this, this denomination participate in your meetings? Uh, they have some things that aren't orthodox or that aren't, completely biblical. Uh, yeah. And uh, he just was always very ecumenical. One of the great critiques that some people had about him was his tent was pretty broad. Uh, of course, he yeah. preached the Bible as truth, and he accepted it, affirmed it. But uh, if you were Catholic, or you were Protestant, uh, if you were Orthodox, uh, he just opened the tent widely. And as a result, he was accepted a lot of places that uh, other evangelists would not have been. And when he held a meeting, a lot of denominations encouraged their people to attend that they wouldn't have attended or wouldn't have encouraged their people to attend a a different evangelist. And uh, so I think uh, he just stayed focused on his assignment, which was to preach the gospel. Uh, And so he, um, and so he, he didn't get sidetracked with divisions and, uh, personalities and uh, critiques. Uh, you don't see Billy Graham answering a lot of his critiques. Uh, I've, I've shared this before, but I see some, some leaders that get hijacked by critics. Mm-hmm. And certainly Billy Graham could have done that. He could have spent all of his time just answering his critics. And so he just chose not to do that. Instead, he chose to uh, just stay focused on what God told him to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's just many, many stories. His humility as well. I think uh, he certainly could have let it go to his head. Yeah. And he did a lot of things that were a little controversial. Like, he, for instance, he would be on uh, TV. He, I remember just as a kid watching him on some celebrity roasts, like Dean Martin used to have some uh, roasts of famous people like Lucille Ball or John Wayne and people like that. And um, and they at times would have Billy Graham on there. And so you got this whole panel of famous comedians and actors, most of whom are not believers, and people were kind of scandalized by him. And yet, 
for, for doing that by being on the shows like that. But his attitude was number one, he never compromised himself or his beliefs. And two, he was always looking to have a way to have access to people that wouldn't otherwise ever hear the gospel. Yeah. And so I think as a result, he, and when you read his autobiography, it's just a who's who. I mean, Bob Hope, uh, of course, all the world leaders, uh, all the American presidents since Truman, uh, Winston Churchill, uh, Lady Diana, uh, the the popes, uh, Brezhnev, or uh, uh, Gorbachev, just so many, so many world leaders uh, that you think, now how did a guy just be so widely accepted worldwide? Uh, well, I mean, he, he was careful what he said. He didn't needlessly antagonize people. He was winsome. He had, he was self-effacing. He didn't take himself too seriously. And uh, as a result, uh, has just many, many fascinating stories. And, and if you have not read the biography, just as I am, or autobiography, he tells some very insightful stories of sitting next to Lady Diana or with a JFK. JFK actually had messaged him, called him and said he wanted to talk to him about some things, uh, related to God. And he always, Billy Graham always regretted that before he could get back to JFK, he'd been assassinated. Hmm. And he always wondered what that talk might have been, what was on his mind. Uh, and so some very interesting stories about inside him relating to Richard Nixon and other people like that. Very fascinating, yeah. but... Um, well, is, are there any things uh, in his leadership, any critiques that you would have uh, of his life, of, of the way that he led the way yeah. that he influenced others. I well, mean, you know, I, I, think, I mean, he's probably pretty close to perfect. Uh, some yeah. Say, well, you know, and, and of course, I don't know how many times I've had people say, well, I'm no Billy Graham, you know, yeah. which sort of in, uh, implies that uh, he's the gold standard. Right. Uh, you know, right. if you want to get it perfect, be like him, but most of us aren't perfect. But interestingly, in his own autobiography, he critiques himself and he says, I've made many mistakes. If I had to do it over again, I would do a number of things differently. He said, for one, I would... I would speak less and study more. And that that's very impactful. When you think, here's a guy who preached to hundreds of millions of people, yeah, um, who saw millions of people become Christians. You you want to say, well, when would you have not spoken? I mean, what crusades would you have not done? Because people were saved in every one. Yeah. Uh, wh- how could you say I would have spoken less? You think he would have said, since God blessed my speaking, I would I should have spoken more. But uh, he says two things. One is he says, I should have studied more. And what that says to me is Billy Graham knew that even though he he was the most famous evangelist of all time, he could have still done more, that God could have used him at even a higher level mm-hmm. had he only been better prepared. And for Billy Graham to say, just imagine what my preaching might have produced had I only been better prepared, yeah. if, I'd only been, if I'd only studied more, uh, which is a word I think to all of us to say, it doesn't mean that what we're not what we're doing is not good, but is it great yet? Is it as great as it could be if we were fully prepared? Mm-hmm. Billy Graham seemed to live with that at the end of his life. The other thing just to say about him is he said, I should have spent more time with my family. Interestingly, yeah. he says, I traveled a lot, but he says, not all of those trips were necessary. And he says, every time I was on the road, I was away from my family. And uh, certainly I've uh, had that same struggle. Uh, you know, you're sitting in a hotel room or on an airplane and you realize, well, I, I really felt like this was a trip that God wanted me to take, but 
my wife, my kids are at home without me this weekend. They're, they're going to church without me uh, because I'm on the road where God led me. And for anyone who's ever had to travel for their work, uh, that's a, that's a struggle you face, you know, am I doing this just because, uh, it'll make more money. It'll be prestigious, uh, just because I say yes to everything, or is this really something God wants me to do? And, and Billy Graham's, uh, family certainly has been used by the Lord, but uh, they've, there's been a number of his kids and grandkids, that have struggled as well. Some that, uh, a number that have gone through marital difficulties and divorce, um, and just various struggles that you would be kind of surprised that Billy Graham's kids would struggle. But, uh, but you know, he would go for, for months at a time and, and be away from his family. He came back when Anne Graham Lotz was a baby and, so, and, and someone handed him or showed him a little baby. And he said, Oh, what a pretty baby. Who, whose child is that? And they said, well, Billy, that's your child. That's your daughter. He didn't mm. even recognize his own child because he'd been away so much. And, and so at the end of his very amazing autobiography, he acknowledges there was a, a, a toll that uh, my family paid because of my travels. Mm. That, uh, yeah. He always kind of lived with some regret over that. And uh, I think wished that perhaps he'd been a little more prayerful, prayerful and agonized a bit more over each of those decisions. Sometimes when you're swept up in the whirlwind of your activity and success, we don't stop and think carefully about some of the decisions we're making that will cost our family. And uh, that certainly seemed to weigh heavily upon him as he approached the end of his life. Well, good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through the the amazing life of, of Billy Graham and, and uh, yeah, certainly is the gold standard when it comes to pastors and, and preachers and um, and leaders. And when you see what God can do with an ordinary person raised on a dairy farm in North Carolina, you can't help but ask yourself, and Lord, what is it you want to do with my life as well? Mm. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.